Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History on the Gridiron Greats Publisher and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises. And we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. Is at this time, I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larkin. Yes. He has. From Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. <laughs> I still love my one-two punch intro, Red Grange and Steve Largent, two, you know, two different eras of, of football. It's, yeah, it, it still makes me chuckle after all these years, Bob. It's, it's a classic matchup, classic combination <laughs> of, you know, in reality – Two players of a time long gone by on the on the field. Okay. That's the reality Good of point. it. Incredible. And we're going to lead off tonight with a simple question. Has the graded card bubble exploded, burst, popped? Hand it off to you, Joe. Hmm. Well, we seem to be obsessed with these, uh, you know, 
you know, uh, these, you know, 2000 playoff contender Tom Brady cards. And it's almost like, you know, talking about Bitcoin, you know, where you, you just kind of shake your head, you don't get it, but you know, everybody around you has invested in Bitcoin, you know, uh, these Brady cards, I don't get, I mean, they are without a doubt the most expensive football card ever. Not a PSA 9 Bronco Nagurski, not a PSA 10 Steve Larger rookie card, but a 2000 playoff contender championship ticket Tom Brady card. Uh, as we mentioned in a previous show, one sold at Leland's on April 3rd, graded a Beckett 8.5 auto graded 9, sold for $2,252,000. As I mentioned, more than every other Hall of Fame rookie card in the registry combined. Wow. Heritage just had one that was graded an 8.5 by Beckett and a 10 autograph. So the auto is slightly better. And me personally, I don't quite get Tom Brady's signature. It looks like a scribble. Then again, lately I'm just feeling like I'm screaming at people to get off my porch. But this one that sold in Heritage just last week, 8.5 BGS Auto 10, went for 1590000 with Hammer. So $700,000 less, almost a third less, and it was graded slightly higher. All right, hold, so, hold the, it right there. Hold, it, it, hold, hold, that thought, hold that thought right there. In your opinion, putting you on the spot right now, which is the better card? The graded, I mean the higher grade or the lower grade? I don't. I don't have that grader's eye, Bob. And like I said, I've, I'm looking at them both side by side right now. Tom Brady's I am, signature on this I am too. is so. horrid. Yeah, I mean it's 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 horrid. I could, if somebody didn't tell me that was Tom Brady's signature, I wouldn't know. Right. So that's the tough part. Uh, I don't know what his signature looks like now, but. You know, I, I hope it's improved. People people like nice-looking signatures. Um, Leland's is getting a Leland's is getting another bite of this apple. They set the record with an 8.5 Beckett and a 9 auto in the current Leland's auction that just opened on May 9th is a Beckett 9 and an auto 10, the highest graded 2000 playoff contender championship Brady ticket known. And it is at the current low, low hammer price of one million five thousand dollars seventy one million five thousand seventy three dollars. So get your bid in now, Captain, for the opportunity to own one of these. I would bid on a lot of property in Florida with that money. <laughs> however, however, getting back to what you know we talked briefly about before the show. I, I I don't I just don't get it. I mean I don't understand even more so now because now you got a seven hundred thousand dollar difference between the two cards. Why? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And is the Leland's one going to be, you know, another two million plus card? The current one. So it's amazing. Like anything, yeah. If you want to graph something, you need three data points. 
Right. We have two, two data right. points. I guess this third data point will tell. It takes two to tango, 0.2 million. Uh, you know, maybe the underbidder was like, oh, now I don't have to bump up against someone. I've been willing to pay, you know, let's say if you're willing to pay 1000 for a card and you put in a $1,000, you know, you know, you know, bid, but the next bid up is, you know, $700 and you get it for 700 I mean, that might be the case right. here. You know, the person who bid up, you know, 2.2 million and lost, maybe they were willing to pay 2.1 million, but the number three guy was only willing to pay 1.5. Now that the top two have it, maybe this, maybe this next one will go for cheaper, and I guess we'll know. We'll have our data points here pretty quick, but man, so it's uh, but we, I guess we'll but we can establish but, also, we can also establish that. It's a $1 million card any way we look at it. And if this breaks the $1.5 million, this new one, we can establish also that, you know, no Brady rookie in this condition, this, this card itself is going to sell for less than a million and a half dollars, which is just, it's mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The There's a hundred of these made. There's a hundred of these made. They're numbered on the back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, who knows? Uh, but even unopened, you know, 2,000 playoff wax is going for, you know, twenty five, thirty thousand a box for a chance at this. Yep. Uh, yep. It's pretty interesting. But enough of that. Uh, several auctions opened over the weekend. I was pretty excited for. Leland's led the way. They opened up on May 9th. And they have what they're referring to as the goat collection, the greatest of all time. And it is a myriad of Tom Brady rookie cards. It's his football, his first ever, you know, a touchdown thrown as a Patriot back in 2001. That's mm-hmm. it's, uh, been authenticated. Pretty interesting stuff. little pet peeve of mine. You know, if you go to Leland's and you click on football, there's a bunch of mid-range stuff. All this Tom Brady stuff doesn't show up. It's not in the, it's not in the football category. You have to go to the special tab for this auction that's called the goat collection. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how hard it is to cross, you know, list this stuff, but you know, come on, if I click on football, shouldn't I get all this football stuff? Anyways, it kind of reminds me of that 1926 Spalding uncut sheet that, uh, you know, sold like, you know, 12, 13 years ago. It was mm-hmm. listed in baseball, not football. And uh, so, I mean, I missed it because, you know, but, so Leland's opened, obviously, one of the greatest Tom Brady auctions we've seen, the GOAT collection. Mile High opened up the day after on May 10th. I was excited. Mile High is usually good for one, two, three really rare stuff. I, I don't know how, but they just seem to really get some good stuff. But my, my words that I wrote down were eBay-esque. They had a PSA, PSA 4 Johnny Unitas rookie card. I could find that on eBay. I don't need to wait for Mile High to open to find that. They had a PSA 7 miscut Jim Brown rookie card. Okay, that's very underwhelming. And they had a PSA 5 1965 Topps Joe Namath card. All this stuff mm-hmm. I can find mm-hmm. on eBay any given week. Mm-hmm. I get so excited for Mile High, and then I just kind of disappointed. I'm like, dang it. You know, because as you know, I, I dig me some auction season. I love auctions. Just I'm like a kid in Christmas, just running down and opening up the catalog, the fresh smell of ink. What's in there? What did Santa get, get little Joey? 
Who knows? Well, REA opens up uh, I'm, I'm in wondering, two days. They're monthly. I'm wondering if um, there's a, now a shortage of premium material getting into the market. Have we seen it all? Is it being held back in speculation that the market's going to go even higher, or it's just not there? It's just basically sitting, collectors, collections, so on and so forth. I'm really wondering what what you know what is what is really going on. You know, I'm surprised because I did I did look at Mile High, and I did see those cards, and I'm saying to myself, well, gee, they're, they're, these are not overly spectacular cards that I would want to, you know, somebody with deep pockets would want to bid on them. You know what I mean? Yep. So interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, show going on right now with all this stuff. It's amazing. It's so exciting. amazing. REA. REA used to do one auction a year and it was, you know, 2000 items. They switched to twice a year when uh, uh gridiron, you know, great, uh, guest, you know, Brian mm-hmm. Dwyer was on, and now they're kicking around doing quarterly. So does doing a quarterly auction dilute the brand, or does it give mm-hmm. them more opportunities, more bites at the apple? We'll see. I'm really excited. Uh, the REA opens up May 13th uh, in two days. Yeah. And that'll be Always interesting to see what, a, what do they actually have, and what is... Uh, what new stuff that we haven't seen in the market for such a long time may be lurking in that particular uh, auction. So I'll be very interested to see what's going on. Kind of excited. I think I mentioned on the show uh, last REA auction, I won a 1963 Topps uncut sheet. Absolutely Mm -hmm. in great shape. Uh, Just love it. And, uh, you know, so I love that stuff. I, I love the, you know, that uh, REA, you know, offers and finds those things. It's just, it's great. So, so that makes uh, two 1963 tops uncut sheets I have. They're a little odd. You can tell they're, how they're sequenced. There's some double and single prints because my, the one I bought in REA has the Fran Tarkenton on row three. The one I have now has the Fran Tarkenton on row eight. And so they're, they're printed, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they're printed in a certain pattern. It's just that pattern shifts one or two or three down. It almost seems like the checklist or the short print, but I love that stuff. I just, uh, you know, you know, uncut sheets are just a they're they're a snapshot into the into history how things were made. They're said before. It's like you know you can't you know there's there's no card doctors out there recreating fake right. uncut sheets. Right. It's kind of the one thing in our hobby. <sighs> One of these days, yeah. I've said it before. If somebody uh, somebody comes across a 1935 Chickle uncut sheet, please let me know. I'm available through Bob Swick at Gridiron Greats. We should have a permanent okay. ad for you on the website. The 35 Chickle <laughs> sheet. Where is it, Joe? Do you, do you know somebody? Who, you know somebody can give me a deal on deal a deal oh, on advertising. <laughs> have you seen me like Amazing. a like a Where's Waldo? Advertisement on the back. <laughs> Where is the 35 National Chickle? We do not know. Mm. But again, well, it'll be interesting to see how these auctions, especially the Brady card, where it ends up 
uh, after the auction and what happens to it. So we will see. We will see what happens. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. But. Our special guest is here, and let me introduce him, and uh, we'll get into the part of our show tonight. Our special guest tonight, the love of football, started as a child growing up in Buffalo, New York. He would read about football, watch football, and play football. He started collecting cards, books, and whatever other items he could find related to the game of football. When the Arena League came along, he loved what he was watching and has been hooked ever since. He now runs the Buffalo Destroyers Museum and has three Facebook museums for the league. That includes the Buffalo Destroyers Museum, the Columbus Destroyers Museum, and the Arena Football Museum. He's also written an article, and we'll have a couple new articles in the future for Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'd like to welcome this evening Mr. Gary Cobb to the show. Gary, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks for being on. And I'm going to lead off immediately by asking you, can you tell our audience on how you became a fan of football in general, and in particular the arena football league? Well, the earliest memory of football I have is watching a Bills game at the Rock Pile on TV with my father and my brothers. I would say I had to be around 9 or 10. Um, and then after that, um, I would watch football whenever I could. Um, I remember going out and playing football at halftime um, with my friends. And then we'd get back in time to watch the second half of the games. Um one of the games I recall is watching O.J. Simpson break the rushing record, and it was, that, that was a nice thing to see. Cool. Yeah, so, and I remember staying up trying to watch the Bills on the West Coast because at that time they actually played the regular time zone. So as a kid, I tried to stay up to watch them, and I ended up having to watch the replay the day after because I fell asleep and never saw the live game. And so that's how I got hooked on football, and then I followed it ever since, and I played it up until I was about 50, and then I had to give it up. <laughs> you you played arena football? Oh, no. I was just playing, like, touch-up games and played at picnics and oh. stuff, but, you know, so. But because that was part of my bio is that I played football. So I played it oh. up until about eight years ago. Nice. It's this. This is Joe, by the way, Gary. Thank you for being on the show. Um, oh, hi, Joe. It's kind of fun. I played football a lot too, and I remember uh, about a year ago I was playing with some youngsters because my son plays football and caught an open field pass, and I'm running, and I think I'm running fast, and this kid just comes running up and two hand touches me, and I'm like, what the hell? I was, man, I was picking him <laughs> up and putting him down. Yeah, getting old. Uh, getting old's a bit. Yes, you thought you were a cougar and you were <laughs> you, you <wore> <laughs> I think I I had that feeling too. You know, that's when you know you got to give it up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm with you. Well, I, I, I uh, love your Facebook page that you have. I mean, I, I love the little. You know, I I was I've been stalking it. I I you know I liked one of them, but I love it. It's like. One Buffalo Destroyer Museum Facebook page isn't enough. You've got three, you know, just to make sure, you know, you've got enough information out there. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, the oldest one is the Buffalo one. The other two are still kind of new, especially the one for the league. That one's not even a year old yet, and I'm just starting to dig out stuff that's been in storage to start to put up there. So I don't even have everything out. I've got um, six years worth of media guides and like 20 years worth of programs and tickets and ticket brochures, magnetic schedules. So there's a lot to put up there. Bob's Bob's ears just perked up when you said programs and the media guides. Uh, But we're we're all unicorns here. We're grown men. We collect, you know, football artifacts. It's, it's, it's a cool, fun hobby. Uh, Oh yeah. I I always love fellow collectors. Can you tell our listeners about, you know, your top six items that you have in your collection of things you love? I knew that question was coming, and I mauled that question, and it's just so hard to pick. But I would have to go with some of the very rare items I have. Like I have a prototype baseball jersey, and it was put out for the destroyers. But as I gathered it from the stories I've heard, it was never used. So I have the prototype for it. And I could tell it was actual arenas baseball jersey made up because of the way the Y is shaped. It's shaped like a goalpost. And then I have advertising items. I'm sorry, what's that? They made a a baseball jersey? What was like a promotional thing? Yeah, it was a promo. Okay. Uh, Well, like I said, I think it was more... They made it up, took it into the advertising, merchandising meeting, and it never uh, got the approval to be oh, made. Okay. Okay. So, so I have the rear okay. item like that. And then I have, like, advertising items from actual from some of the sponsors, like Coca-Cola, Badestoni, um, hmm. and um, then I have um, the uh, playbooks actually given to me by Ray Bentley. And he also gave me uh, game plans from one of the games against San Jose. <clears throat> then they have a helmet phone, which is very yep. rare. And mine has got all the paperwork with it. It's even got the name tag. and But the name tag was never has nothing printed on it or, or engraved. And then an the ice cream container, which is always. But it's from Perry's Ice Cream. And it was um, never used. Oh. They they folded it up, but it's nice and clean inside. Right. It was was that was that six? I <laughs> I didn't count. Well, you can, you can talk about more. It's okay. I mean, we um, don't mind if I, we go over. I, I, I have think, a. I think. Go ahead. Pardon? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, I got a kids' ball. It's got logos all the way around it, and the odd thing about that ball that I love to talk about is I actually bought it from Daryl the Gambler from Storage Wars, and then I got a 2001 preseason binder that's got information about the preseason games. It's got a a pass that goes with it, and it's got articles all about um, all the preseason games from 2001. And then I got a letter from former mayor of Buffalo, Massiello, that was addressed to the destroyers. Oh, nice. What's it say? What is it? Oh, oh, the letter just says, you know, this is Massiello. 
um, fundraiser, and it's addressed right to the destroyer's corporate office. And then at the bottom, it's signed Mayor Massiello. Oh. Pretty great. I think that's I think that's six or seven. <laughs> right, we'll take it. Uh, Gary, you're in good company. Bob and I would sit here and talk hobby all day long if we didn't have, uh, if we weren't capped in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it was time restraints. <laughs> so I, I think some of my best memories of this program are, you know, the, you know, the five, you know, ten minutes that, you know, I call in before the show and Bob and I just sit there and talk. There's times where I'm like, okay, okay, let's stop talking because we have to save this for the show. <laughs> Uh, sounds like when I, I get together with my one friend on the phone, all I do is yeah. we just talk and throw ideas around. So, now, but Gary, I'm, I'm curious. Um, just getting off script a little. The Arena Football League started in eighty eight, eighty eighty seven, eighty seven, eighty seven. Okay. Yes. And it was the four. It was the four. Four game season, or a very short season, from what I can remember. Yeah, yeah, it was a four game um, thing with four teams. They played each team twice. So, well, actually, it was a six game season because they had um, you played each team twice, oh, yeah. so you had six yeah. games. So okay, and yeah, and then yeah. they had the brief play the playoff game between the two top teams, and then the next year they had six teams. Um, and then they put down to five. Yeah, and then they uh, they had the big expansion in the 90s and um, the turn of the century also. Because I can remember um, there were a couple teams here in Connecticut, but they never really did anything. They, they only lasted like a season, um, and then they just faded away. So it was pretty... Yeah, uh, the- pretty quick to say the least so um it's interesting to me when you first communicated with me about uh doing a story for gridiron grapes i um we we had a a uh, writer his name was zach tubbs who actually played for in the arena football league and uh oh, he okay. uh r- r- wrote a couple stories for us and uh, actually, I haven't heard, I haven't heard from him in a while, so I got I got to drop on my line again to find out if he's okay or whatever. But uh, very interesting, um, the conversations I had with him, giving me background about the league, so on and so forth. How um, you know you really got to love the game to play it, uh, because again, a lot of guys want to be that next Kurt Warner coming out of uh, an Iowa team and going to the NFL and winning a Super Bowl. And then again, you got a lot of yeah. guys who just like playing it, and you know they're you know they they make a decent living out of it, so on and so forth. So it's good. It's a it's an interesting league to me. I always I always thought it was um, it was a interesting marketing an interesting marketing proposal for football fans who were bored in the spring and early summer. You know what I mean? And um, oh yeah, I I'm I'm, I'm just I'm surprised that. It really didn't take off. I mean, I know it was very popular, and certain certain franchises were very popular, so on and so forth. But at the same time, it also uh, was very unpopular in a lot of places, and, and a lot of teams only lasted one or two seasons. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, there was a large turnover. Yeah, 
I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of franchises over the years, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, movement, a lot of players, a lot of former uh, professional players, college uh, stars played in the league, so on and so forth. So it's kind of interesting to, to to view and to look at. So that that leads me to ask you. Let's talk a little bit about your um, your football museums on Facebook and uh, talk a little bit about your actual Buffalo Destroyers museum that you have. What gave you the idea to start those? Well, uh, like I said, with the football, I've always been a fan of football. So I've also been a fan of Buffalo sports. So for a number of years, I was just um, – hit and miss with everything. I'd get stuff from the Bills, Sabres, Braves, you know, the, the soccer teams, the baseball teams. And then yep. um, then I went to a few arena games and I liked it, but I, I grabbed some stuff, but I still wasn't centered in on one thing. And then I took part in a show if, uh, about the odd that used to be here in Buffalo, you know, where the Sabres played and, the, you know, the mm-hmm. auditorium, but everybody called it the odd. And in there, there was a guy who was strictly just Sabres. And then there was a guy there that was just strictly Braves. And then I knew of Greg uh, Tranter um, with the Bills, but I've never met him. You know, that that wouldn't come until years later. But um, so then I came home and I told my wife, I said, "Um, I'm just going to center in on one thing because running around trying to get this and this for each team, you know, it's getting crazy. And both of us like the arena football. So I said, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to center in on the Destroyers. And so I started the actual museum in 2009 with about five items. And then now it's grown to probably the largest private collection in the area. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I had uh, I had Chinese today for dinner, so it doesn't <laughs> it drives me out when I have it. <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry. I should have picked something easier for for dinner. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then when I got um, started with it, some of the people would give me stuff to make copies of. But then down the road, when they found out I wasn't selling stuff, turned around and started to give it to me, and hmm. said, "Oh, you can have this for the museum." And I got wow. um, that. That's where I got some of the advertising stuff from. That's where I got, like I said, Ray Bentley just donated me playbooks and game charts and things like that. And even the league itself, when they turned around and I talked to a guy for an hour and a half from the league, and I told him, "Look, I don't sell anything. I'm just, I just would like to use the logo to help." With, with promo stuff. So after I told him that I don't sell stuff, he turned around and the next day faxed me over the okay to use the logo. That's cool. So that's wow. how I got. So that's how I got started in that. <laughs> how many cool. how many pieces like do you think you got in the museum? How many what was that? Obviously. How many pieces of uh, you know um, of, um, pe- pe- or pieces or less. Well, considering with the some of the uh, advertising stuff that goes along with the era and things from the league, yeah, I would say 
like a thousand, fifteen hundred, maybe more. Something wow. I've never actually count, counted to see how much I actually had. You know, I I have like a Gatorade bottle that's not exactly, or I should say, Powerade because that was the official drink of the destroyers. Um, I never counted some of that stuff. The the bottle goes. The team used it, but it's not actually has any destroyer logos on it. But it was still oh, something associated with the team. Sorry, go ahead, Gary. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's something i got to do, sit down and count actually how many pieces I've got because I've even got items from road games, tickets and um, programs and some of them a par- parking pass from one of the games. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I mean, you're you're a collector. You're you know you you you're the curator of a couple of, you know museums. So I mean you know I mean I know Bob and I you know have a myriad of stories that we can share of you know our pursuit of our collections. I imagine you have to have some great stories about finding stuff for the museum and your personal collection both. Oh yeah, you know, it, it, some of the stories are just amazing. The first time I went to actually meet Ray Bentley in person, I have, I've got to have probably 30 different t-shirts, maybe 40 different t-shirts between the polo shirts and the t-shirts and things like that. And I went to meet him and I was wearing a Star Wars uh, shirt instead of a destroyer shirt <laughs> and my wife goes all the shirts you got downstairs you meet me Bentley wearing a Star Wars shirt so that's something that comes up and then when I first started in 09 I didn't know too much about some of the memorabilia so I get a jersey from a guy and it's got black marks all over it it was a white jersey with black marks I'm like this guy sent me a dirty jersey so I washed it <laughs> And then two days two days later, I met my friend who was an equipment manager. He goes, oh, you can tell game jersey. I said, how? He goes, black marks. I'm like, you're kidding. He goes, no. I said, oh, I just washed a game worn jersey. Oh, yeah, we no. we scrubbed it. We scrubbed it. It took all the um, oh, black marks out oh, of it oh. just to come come to find out I should have left it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Wow. So those awesome. are those are a couple of funny stories. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. It's funny when you start and you don't know too much and then when you find out, you know, more stuff, it's you know it's amazing. So there there is a very rare game game ball that was used only in the 2003 season and, and I actually have one I sent one down to the Hall of Fame um, it's got the new NBC logo it doesn't have the original logo and then in 2004 they switched to the kind of whitish gray ball with the blue stripe so this one ball right. that's signed signed by uh, the, the league president David Baker is a very rare one season ball. Wow. And I call that I call that the farewell ball because after two thousand and three the destroyers left to go to Ohio. Yeah they, they people uh, ask me that now they were only in Buffalo for two seasons, right? No, they were here for five. Five seasons. Okay. Okay. Five seasons from ninety nine to two thousand and three. That's right. Okay. 
Okay. And then uh, how long uh, how long did they last in Columbus, Ohio? Do you know? Do you know? Down in Ohio. Yeah. Oh, they they were there for five years down in Ohio. Oh, okay, okay, all right. So the, right, so the and then they came really, back. They weren't. And they came back? They weren't one of the powerhouses. Well, yeah, they came back okay. the final year of the league uh, for one season. So if you want to count it, they were there for six seasons. But there was like a 10-year gap in between the uh, one season and the next season. So Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, five, five seasons in a row and then that one odd season, the last year that they were playing, uh, the league actually – Played and um, wow, that's that's interesting. And that last season, what kind of memorabilia was generated? Anything new or unique, or was pretty much the same stuff over again? Oh, it was it was new stuff because they went away from. They originally started with the blue helmet that was up in Buffalo. Then their second season, okay. they went to to a white helmet. Then they went to a white helmet with stripes, and then when they came back in 2019, they had a black helmet with a white stripe. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I could get some more stuff from it. I picked up a few things already from it, but I don't have a whole lot of stuff from their, you know, 2019 season. That's interesting because you would think. They would they would have pushed a lot of stuff out that year, but then again, maybe they knew that that was the end of the the league anyways, one way or the other. So they didn't they didn't overspend yeah. and or over market. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, so. Yeah, they had some stuff. They didn't have a, a pendant. They had more of a banner that says we're we're back, and then they had a a towel that they placed on all the chairs, a souvenir towel. Okay. And then, you know, then, of course, they had the tickets and the programs, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and then the business cards and the um, passes, media passes and stuff like that. They they didn't come out with a media guide as far as I know. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just said that's all that I know of. <laughs> For that, oh, besides okay. the jerseys. Right. Now, did you did you have a favorite game or games that you attended or watched over the years? And oh yeah, so, was that I mean, well, like the first game I went to live was against the New Jersey Red Dogs, and that was in 1999, and that was my first game live, and it was great to see the game live just like if you watch the nfl on tv and then you go to a game it's a total different experience and so mm-hmm. the first game i went to was great and then a couple months later i went to a game against tampa bay storm it was the worst game in franchise history but what was great <laughs> for me is that's the game i caught the I, that's the game i got the game ball from one of the game used balls so that's where I came up with my first arena ball. So, and then there was like the uh, game against um, Albany in 2000 when the Destroyers came back to tie the game, took it to overtime, and beat the defending champs in, in overtime. And you know, also that was Ray Bentley's first win as a head coach. Mm-hmm. And then there was like. 2003, there was a great game um, against Arizona 
and the destroyers always had a hard time with Arizona, and they they actually hung on to win that time with a late interception, and it helped seal the win. So those are the That's few cool. of the memorable games. I love arena football. We had a, I'm, I'm sure you know this, Gary, but we had a uh, you know an arena football league here in Portland, Oregon, where I'm from. Uh, the the Portland Thunder. Oh, okay. Yeah, hit the yeah. scene in 2013. Yeah, the, it was, it was cool. they had the Thunder, the Storm, the Forest Dragons. Yep, so. yep, yeah, exactly. So. But it was fun going to those games. It's just, I mean, what is it, a 60-yard field? or I, I forget how short it is. You know, it's a 50-yard field, but then, yeah, when you count the two end zones, it's uh, 60 yards. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, because, the, because the ball the bounces wall. up in the yeah, the, yeah, the padding on the th- I mean, it was just, it was so fast, and it was so quick, and I just, I loved going to the games, just because it was just a, a, a you know, good, you know, inexpensive trip, watch some football, and it was kind of cool, because, you know, here, you know, here in Oregon, we have the University of Oregon Ducks, you know, our, you know, our big, you know, football, you know, college football team, and uh, they really started to get popular when, a, you know, an ex-Ducks quarterback who washed out of the NFL you know, came and started playing for him. You know, his name was Darren, Darren Thomas, and suddenly, suddenly it was you know kosher. It was cool, you know, to invite you know ten friends to a you know an arena you know game. It was, it was really cool. I really loved, you know. Oh yeah, it, I, I, it yeah, was good. I loved going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, yeah. What, what is the status? Because our, our Portland Thunder folded, I think, in 2018, uh, amidst a cloud of financial mismanagement. Sadly. Uh, what is the status of AFL in your in your neck of the woods, or just nationally? I guess. What's my thoughts on it? No. What What is the status of it? Like, I mean, is it? Oh, so here in Portland, um, we no longer have a real football because it shut down. I'm just curious. You know, so I stop paying attention. Know, it, it, as far as I know, and the, the last I've heard of is the Arena League is still gone. It's it's you know it's because they're fighting that big. Um, lawsuit over the medical um, from several teams that never paid their medical bills. Um, but there are other indoor leagues. So there's um, like the National Arena League. There's the Champions Indoor Football League. Um, and actually the National Arena League has six teams this year, and four of them are old arena football teams. And then the, so the Champions actual, Indoor so the Football the actual Arena League per se ended in 2019, and then teams yes. basically left and formed their own other yep. leagues. Okay. Well, right. I heard yes, some ahead. of them were some of them were gone before the league folded, like Arizona okay. and Iowa. They were already gone to other leagues before the trouble um, came. I don't know if they saw on the horizon, and they just uh, got mm-hmm. out before it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember reading about that medical, the medical payment issue, and that's what basically almost bankrupt them, or actually did shut them down. To yeah, that, uh, that the shut for... them down. Yeah, and then wow. from then all their stuff went into uh, liquidation, but somehow um, as of right now, the Albany Empire is supposed to start this year. And the National Arena League, when they start up, um, they keep pushing it back a tiny bit because of COVID. But um, 
Albany was one of the last teams in the Arena League, and somehow they came out with all their equipment and everything and were able to come back and feel the team in a different league. Wow. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's, it's a, you know, now it's a barnstorming league because basically you got you got different leagues. you got a small amount of teams in each league. And basically it's going to be in, in what amounts to being small metropolitan areas because that's where they're going to generate the most fans and probably generate the most sales uh, for the game because obviously they're, they're dependent on advertising and – the limited amount of seats they can sell for the games to, to survive. Yeah, as of right now. Other. Yeah, as of right now, yeah. You know, because the way some of them are. Although Arizona says they're supposed to be able to have full um, capacity this year. So okay. I don't know how things yeah. are in Arizona. That's just what they posted on Facebook, that they can have full capacity. Uh, so. so, Yeah, because I can't see how they could could survive in New York if they only got 10, 15 percent capacity, you know, like yeah, they're doing with the I, baseball games, you know. I guess Albany's situation is different. I guess they can survive on uh, oh, uh, small s- small crowds, limited crowds. Uh, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> wow. It's incredible. It's a, you know, it's an interesting history to me, and I think it's, you know, again, for, for football purists, a lot of them don't like the idea of playing inside. But at the same time, people who enjoy football, I always said, you know, you look at the WFL, you look at the USFL, arena football, when it started in 1987, think about it, it's been around for 34 years now. And yeah. not, a, not a lot of it is, now, not a lot is known about it, number one. And number two, it really has a, a very... Um, dedicated core of fans and collectors like yourself that basically can keep, you know, keep the, um, the leagues alive and, and, and still have interest in them one way or the other, you know what I mean? So that's oh, yeah, that I find yeah. pretty, pretty interesting about arena football. I was always interested and in I always liked watching it. And, uh, you know, the few times on TV, I actually saw games from ESPN or whatever, or, uh, another network. I, I, you know, they're and, and like Joe said too, they're pretty explosive. Uh, it's an explosive game. It's an offense. It's an offensive-based game. So it's wide yeah. open. Yeah. And uh, fun to watch. You know. Interesting. It 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 kind of re- reminds me of the early days of the AFL because the mm-hmm. Arena League is mostly all passing. Because as you right. know from the article that I wrote. Um, the, in the Toronto Buffalo game, they combined for 16 yards rushing, and that was a good game in by arena standards. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I said I could rush for eight, eight yards myself in a regular game. It might be very <laughs> hard to come by, but in the arena league, the, you get eight yards rushing, and it's a good game. So yep. I don't know if a guy had 20, 20 <laughs> yards, he'd be like the, the season uh Season rush, rushing leader for for years to come. Wow, that that, that is truly amazing to say the least. But but again, but, get back, you know the, the the history of the league. It's it's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting thirty four years that they've been around, and and 
interesting to see all the different indoor leagues that have been in existence over the years too. So um, yeah, you know, not not just limited to the 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 official arena football league, but the other ones that you mentioned, and I know there were several in the past too. So uh, oh yeah, there were some that popped. You know, it's kind of like the NFL; they have teams that popped, or teams and leagues that popped up, and then they just uh, yep. dissolved. You know, and so, and then the Arena League also came up with the AFL too, which was a lot bigger than the Arena League itself. But then that right. fell apart um, in 2009 when they had to restructure the league, and they took the whole year off and. A bunch of teams fell by the wayside at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I can envision a Portland Electrics arena football team in the future. (laughs) That's a a good name. Why'd you come up with that? (laughs) Portland Lightning Bolts, Portland Electrons. I mean, (laughs) we we could brainstorm this, Captain. (laughs) I I I can see the Squires Electric logo. All around the boards of the field. <laughs> Joe Squire's owner. Well, there, there are right some. There, I forget if it's the. Um, I think it's the National Arena League is actually looking for owners, and there's an application actually online for it. So, if you're interested. <laughs> Bob, now Probably we know like how George, dollar application. Oh. Yeah. Now we know how the trepidation <laughs> like Jordan Hallis had, you know, in the twenties when it's like the bear a thousand dollars to open an NFL franchise. Ah, I don't know if it's gonna work out. Or even just the the Fools Club, you know, the AFL, you know, the hunt yeah. Lamar Hunt. I mean Palmer, it's like I mean now we look back on it like, well of course you would pay the fee for an NFL team. Of course, yeah. how foolish! But now it's now we're we're kind of chuckling about you know paying five hundred dollars for a you know arena team. <laughs> yeah, uh, even be... the prices for those have gone up since the first started. You know, just like the NFL. You know, the prices yeah. for teams were like five thousand dollars at one time. Now they're like twenty thousand dollars. So, or even higher, depends on which league you jump into. Unbelievable. Well, you could you could buy and sell a couple of Brady cards and and probably own a couple of arena leagues from the <laughs> money you get from those. It's amazing. Yeah. I always I always I always enjoyed semi pro football, which is what I you know I feel arena football is, even though it's not you know an outdoor game. But uh, I can remember back in the seventies in Connecticut, we had a couple of semi pro teams that actually played. And, um, you know, they played on high school fields. They were lucky you had like two, three hundred people show up for the game. But these guys really went out and they, you know, they played. They played for the love of the game and, and um, you know, get a, you know, that one chance of stardom again. Yeah. Those could be, could be a, uh, a uh, scout in the audience, which I know in several games I went to back in the 70s for the, uh, the old New Haven Patriots. The uh, there were there were some NFL scouts there just looking at guys just to see if they can pick up anything you know pick up any uh, talent yeah. or whatever yeah. it's amazing oh yeah truly really amazing well, Kurt Warner yeah. Kurt Warner was playing I, arena football I mean you know. oh yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah exactly. I know there's lot, lots of scouts in the um, Arena League that would check out the, the players. Um, that's oh, yeah. how... Yeah. Uh, that's how Derek Branch, he was, he's Cliff Branch's nephew. He played for the Destroyers for three years, and then he jumped up to playing the CFL. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I'm sure there was a scout here in Buffalo looking at him and liked him. And he was also, by the way, the Destroyers leading receiver for all three years there. Yeah. And yeah. he holds... He holds the unofficial record as being the leading receiver in destroyer history. Wow. Wow, that's neat. Uh, Gary, any final thoughts, and do you have any advice for a beginning collector of football memorabilia? Well, the uh, thoughts for anybody starting out is you know, know what you want to do, because like I started off with, um, that I was a hit and miss, and I would like shoot all yep. over trying to grab any, and then when I focused on one one team and one league, it made it a whole lot easier, and then, you know, go after what you want, you know, you know follow your dream, because there's going to be things to try to stop you all the time, you know, and I, I got a sign made up in my room that says uh, there's always going to be stumbling blocks in life's road, but it's your choice if it's a stepping stone or a tombstone. You know, mm. Do you want your dream to live or do you want, want to just the first thing that comes against you just fold in? I've, I've had lots of opportunities to cash it in and to say, you know, never mind. Um, about five years ago, the basement flooded and I lost some stuff, but oh, no. thankfully, I, yeah. But thankfully, I was able to get just about all of it back. Some of it that stuff that got destroyed was copies of stuff, which was good. So, wasn't some of the good mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Well, Bob and, and I, Bob and I talked. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. Oh no, I was set for now. <laughs> Uh, what was that, oh, Bob? And you were talking. Oh, Bob and I have talked about that before. Just how many X are left? I mean, you take like programs from the 20s and 30s, and you know, we've always talked about paper drives of the war and and floods and fires and stuff getting stuffed up in attics and you know and you know getting you know, dried out and brittle. Moms throwing stuff away when kids leave, and just you know, how many how, how many programs were taken home from a game attended by twenty thousand people? How many of them just ended up yeah. in the trash? And how many, how many of them sur- have survived ninety hundred years of you know whatever ninety years of you know of just natural wear and tear? And like you said, a, a flood, a basement flood. Yeah. Yeah, or um, even somebody putting it up in the attic and um, squirrels are yeah. that chewing chewing up in there and that yeah you know some of the things i've got are are a little damaged but it's better to have something damaged than to not have it at all you know and that's the way that i looked you know i'll take a program that's wrinkled or a ticket that's bent in that until i can get a better one because then at least i have it yeah so yep exactly that you know and that's the other tip that's the other tip I have for somebody, follow all the leads. There's times I've went to people's house, they said they had stuff. I got there and they had everything that I needed, but I, you know, everything that I had already. And I'm like, oh, well, it, you know, 
it's better to have gone there and looked it over than to say, no, they're, they're not going to have nothing yep. and, you know, and to miss out on something. Yep, absolutely. So, I went to a Very guy's true. house one time. He gave me a piece of paper. He goes, here, I don't know what this paper is, but I know it's for the destroyers. I said, okay. I put it in my bag because we were doing other stuff. When I got it home, it turned out to be the itinerary for the very last game as the Buffalo Destroyers. Where they were leaving from, when they were going to land in Vegas, when they got to the hotel, when they got to the game, when they left the game. You know, so it was the whole itinerary. And I could have said, well, just a piece piece of paper. I don't want it. Yeah. That is pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. Well, Gary, thank you very much for being on the show tonight. You're a wealth of information on arena football and the destroyers. And I know you've educated our uh, audience with a somewhat little, in some cases, little known league with a lot of franchises that have a a lot of history behind them. So thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I enjoyed it. Good. Thanks for being on. Gary Cobb, who has three museums on Facebook, Buffalo Destroyers Museum, Columbus Destroyers Museum, and the Arena Football Museum. All right, we're down to our two-minute warning. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. What you pick up on tonight's show? Oh, uh, Talk about passion. I absolutely love it. Just, uh, you know, just uh, grabbing something and being passionate about it. I mean, uh, you know, we, we all make fun of each other, our fellow collectors about, you know, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of, you know, self-deprecating jokes about me collecting Steve Largent, you know, and it's, but we're, we're, we're all passionate about something. And, it, you know, so no matter what, it doesn't matter what you're passionate about. We're all fellow collectors. I love it. I'm not sure if you noticed if you went to, by the way, if you went to Gary's uh, com, he has a Facebook page. And uh, on April 16th, he posted the Gridiron Greats cover, stated my first story. So obviously the yep. Gridiron, you know, Gridiron bump is in full effect, Captain. It's good to good to see that bump happening. And I'll tell you, I think I – think I really believe the Arena Football League is is somewhat understudied and shunned by some, you know, purists. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of memorabilia there. There's a lot of good players there, and I think it's, uh, yep. you know, fa- it's a fascinating, fascinating league to to study. All of them, are. all of them are, all those franchises and the different leagues. All right, Donna, less than a minute. Gridangratesmagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Gridiron Greats Magazine. Check out our website for subscription information. Final thoughts, Joe? 20 seconds. Outstanding guest. Uh, love it. Thank you. Good show as usual, Captain. Thank you, Joe. And we'll be back hopefully next week with another show. Until then, take care. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, 
We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.